please rise for the reading of God's word. Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and you in you all. Verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he said, where he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by, the, by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. May God bless the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I have to tell you, my mind was, and heart was kind of shifting in a number of directions in the last two, two moments. What a song by the choir. Uh, I think Billy Graham would be pleased. If he was still out there, I think we'd get a phone call. We'd want to recruit you, because that's the kind of song that Billy Graham often used in his ministry. But also, while Oliver and the organ were playing, what a beautiful song. I, I really don't know the title or what it was about. And, but my mind drifted to a, a movie that I watched many years ago. And when I watched it, it broke my heart in many pieces. It was called Schindler's List. Anybody remember that movie? When the Jewish people, God's chosen people, were so massacred in such ugly fashion. And throughout that movie, when the, when the movie wanted you to kind of meditate on what was happening, a violin soloist like that was played. And so that solo just drifted me back and caused me to think about how God must have been shedding monstrous tears when his children, his chosen race, was so devastated. 
And some of you from the European countries know more about that than, than we do here in North America. But what a marvelous, what a marvelous time. What a marvelous morning of worship. Thinking of Billy Graham, I had the privilege of going to Billy Graham's School of Evangelism on a number of occasions and enjoyed it immensely when I was there. But there's this story that tells of Billy Graham that in his early ministry when he arrived at a small town to preach a sermon, wanting to mail a letter back in those days, he asked the young boy where the post office was. When the boy told him, Dr. Graham thanked him and said, if you will come to church tonight, I will tell you how you can get to heaven. The little boy thought about it for a moment and said, no thank you, sir, I don't think I'll be there. As puzzlement came across Billy Graham's face, the little boy said, you don't even know how to get to the post office. <laughs> oh, children, young people. I want us to look this morning at our passage of Scripture at three specific words that are found in this passage, and by so doing so, I believe it will set the stage now for us to move forward from where we've been in seeking God's blessing or preparing ourselves as a church for the rain. And so as we move forward now, I want to look at three specific words which I believe set the foundation for the next 12 weeks as we walk through now practicality. How do we practically become the what? How do we practically become the visible Jesus? But these three words kind of set a foundation. If we don't understand these three words, then... Okay. We're in trouble. Can't move it forward. Oh, we got it for now. All right, thank you. They figured, those guys are so intelligent up there. Oh, are they really? You're going to have to do it up there? All right. I didn't give you no notes, so I'll just do a dance. You know. Oh, by the way, talking about technology, did you notice that last week I put the roaster, or the, 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 the rooster in the roaster? Did anybody get that? I punished him deeply for that. My wife, she was laughing in the service and I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I got home and she, she just had to embarrass me. But I want us to look at these three words. First one is called or calling. The second one is worthy. And the third word is built or built up. Called. They're getting ahead of me here. Have you ever taken a concordance? Have you ever thought about that word called? You know that that word is used 600 times in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Called or calling is used 600 times. So it's just not a little word. It's a very significant word. 
And as we look at our first reading, Romans 1.7 says, To all in room who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Who are called. Let me just read the first verse of Ephesians from a New Living Translation to see if we can get the thought correctly. Therefore I, a prisoner, for serving the Lord Jesus, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. You have been called by God. If we are going to move forward as believers in Christ with the power and the confidence of the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that God has called us. It's interesting when you study the word called, it's not a present term, it's a past present term. We have been called. In other words, the calling has taken place long before it happened. Do you understand that the Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty, while he was in heaven, before he said, let there be light, he knew who you were. And he called you. We sometimes think God is calling us. But when it comes to our salvation, we need to understand that he called us. Some theologians say we were called to our salvation. We're called to our salvation. Let's look at another passage. These are letters to the early church. No, we're worthy now. Let me just read them for you. I, think, I don't think we're going to do very well, guys, without my notes. The second verse here I'd like you to think about, you can just write these verses down, and when you get home, you can work 1 Corinthians 1-2. To the church of God, which is at Corneth, to those who are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints... Again, the word is called. It's not saying those who are called, who are sanctified in Jesus Christ, will become saints. They are called to be saints. It's already happened. Thirdly, Galatians 1.6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Jesus. Second Peter 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you, have pro- that you proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into light. If we do not understand, if we do not have the assurance in our heart that Almighty God called us, We didn't just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to be saved. God called us, and the Holy Spirit began his work in us, and we came to that place in our lives where we understood we had been called, and we surrender our lives to Christ. We have to have assurance, folks. We have to believe that God is playing a big role in our lives if we're going to become what he wants us to become. And remember and understand that the Bible clearly says you are called to be saints. And it's the same kind of of confidence that we have in the word it's called 
He's not calling us to be saints. He has called us to be saints. And because he has called us to be saints, he has empowered us to be just that. He has empowered us to be just that. I don't know about you, but that gets me pretty pumped up. That my God has got something very special for me to be, but the most special thing he wants to me be is to be a holy people, a peculiar person, someone who is called by him to move forward. If we don't believe we're called, we often lose confidence that we can be what Jesus wants us to be. And we start to get the trick of the old slewfoot telling us you just have to work harder, you have to work at this. The reality is, that's a trick of the devil. We are called. When I was a young believer, I was saved through a little Baptist church. I think I've shared this with you. We called it the half a church. It, only, it kind of went right up the middle like this and went down like this. The other half wasn't there yet. But I was called. I was saved through the ministry of that pastor. And he was using a program in his church, and some of you may remember it and some others won't, called Evangelism Explosion. He was a unique program where he took three men out, or three women with, with his wife, and we'd go door to door. And we'd knock on people's doors. We went three because we didn't want them to think we were Jehovah Witnesses. So we'd knock on the door, and as soon as we knocked on the door, there's two questions that would come out of our mouth. We'd introduce ourselves, we'd say, how are you doing? We're from the half a church, and we're just wanting to get to know the community. Could we ask you a couple of questions? Sure, most people said. Some people just slammed the door. That was okay. So here's the questions we said. Supposing you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? That was the first question we asked him. We got all kinds of answers. Mostly, yeah, I think so. Yep. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure. Good, that's great, I'd say. Well, supposing you were to stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Now, that was a tougher question. And we got all kinds of answers. When they gave us their answer, we'd say, boy, have we got good news for you. And we would share the gospel. That was a very successful program. My wife was leading a ladies' team. I was leading a men's team after a while. And there was a lot of memory verses to do. And my wife, by the time, it was every Tuesday night, by the time the next Tuesday came, my wife was ill. She said, she said, I don't feel well. And that's often the way it is when we think we're, when we want to go and share the gospel. We kind of the whole sleuthwood gets after us, he wants to shut us down before we get started. But she'd say, "Man, I'm having a hard time memory." I had my verses memorized by the next morning for the next week. I was so into this program. Actually, I I then started to train evangelism this pro program, evangelism explosion program at both. Uh, the Alliance Bible College in Regina and Briarcrest. They asked me to come and train the students on door-to-door -door evangelism. 
But as I studied this week and I thought about being called, that second question, he asked you, why should I let him into heaven, what would you say? There's nothing. There's nothing we can say. We can't say anything. We just fall on our knees because we're actually before God. Because we've been called to be there. And nothing can take that away from you. My precious friends, let me, let me bear my theology out. Some of you may come and beat me up after, that's okay. But I got to believe that Jesus never taught me to swim just to let me drown. Jesus never, taught to, never came to save me than he wants to go and unsave me. There's no greater racer in heaven that takes my name out of the book of life. Because my name is called to be in that book. Not by who I am, not by what I've done, not what I, what I will do. I'm called of God to be in that book. Are you? Do you feel that strongly about it? Because if you don't, you and I have to talk. You and Ken have to talk. We are called. That's the first word. I want to talk about the second word. Oh, you got them all up there. Whoa. Second word now is worthy. The second word is worthy. Colossians 1, 9, and 10 says this. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. This is Paul talking about the Colossian church. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that his spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Now this has got nothing to do with salvation. This has got everything to do because of salvation. It's got nothing to do. You can never be worthy enough to get saved. But you can get saved and be filled with a sense of worthiness for God. We sometimes get this backwards. We sometimes start working so hard that we lose confidence, we lose energy, and we look like when we come to church on sunny mornings, we spend a week sucking on sour lemons. I've got a few smiles coming. Worthy. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, urging you to, live, to live lives worthy of God. To live lives worthy of God. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God will make you worthy. And our passage of Ephesians, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Notice, the calling you have received, not the calling you will receive because you're worthy. Let's not get the cart before the horse. Living a worthy life for God is because we have been called. It's a P.S. in our letter to God, saying thank you, and we live out our life. This is going to be important 
as we move forward in these next weeks. Ephesians talks. Let me, let me just define what Ephesians says about worthy. It says you walk in unity. You walk in unity. That's part of being worthy. You walk in purity. You seek to have a life of purity. That means the old life, the old characteristics of our life need to fall off us like we're undressing. You notice this morning I put a tie on. Freddie's starting to wear a tie to church every day. So I wasn't going to let him get the better of me. But purity means we're taking off the clothes of the old characteristic and we're drawing and redressing ourselves with a new set of characteristics that we find in the Holy Word. Walking in purity. We walk in love. John 4, 16 and 17, 1 John 4, 16. And we know and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God. He who abides in love abides in God. If you're not abiding in love, I ask you, are you abiding in God? Are you trying to love on your own power? Are you trying to love on your own goodness? It won't work. It won't work. We abide in love because God loved us. We don't abide in love so he will love us. We abide because he loved us. We walk in the light. We are to walk in the light. Because a verse in Ephesians says, darkness is a, is, is a representative of sinfulness, and light is a representative of righteousness. Purity means we walk in the light. And finally, purity means we walk circumspectly. You know how many times I had to practice that word? We walk in circumspectly. To walk in circumspectly is to walk with great care in the awareness that there be many things that can come against you to hinder you from experiencing the abundant life that has been provided by you in Christ. I recall some years ago, my brothers and I have this, uh, this annual trip we make with our wives, and we go to Las Vegas. Uh-oh. Sin City, here we come. We go there because we enjoy the entertainment and some of the shows at night. And my brothers and I, we go golfing every day. And if you ever golfed in Vegas or down Phoenix in those areas, it's, it's a unique place to golf because the fairway is green. And when you get off the fairway, it could be anything from desert to swamp to who knows what. Well, I recall golfing down there with my brothers on a number of occasions. But this one occasion came through. I hit this monster drive. Problem was, it wasn't on the green. It was off into the rough. So I was walking there, you know, kind of just strolling along, anxious to get there to see if I could get a second shot from out of the rough so I wouldn't have to take a penalty. And I'm walking into this kind of deserty, rocky area, and my, I could see my ball up there, and I heard this noise. And I kind of turned to look where the noise came from, and there was a big rattlesnake kind of making his way towards my ball. Well, I tell you, for the rest of that round, and now when I go golfing down there, 
and my ball goes in the rough, I walk circumspectly. I keep my eye open to the trouble that's around me for fear I get bitten. And that's what it means to walk circumspectly in Christ. We need to keep our eyes and our spirit open to the evil one who will try to entrap us and trap us and trap us and trap us. Not because he can take our salvation, because he can't do that, but because he can shut us down. Our witness becomes broken. And that's his total goal for us, folks. That's his total goal, is to shut us down. And he wants to shut us down as a church. Because I believe, no matter what the circumstances have been over these last months, as Ken has recovered and he's walked through his valley, and we've come together, me as your interim pastor and Freddie, I believe that God has something big going on here, folks. He has got something big going on. And when something big is going on, Slewfoot is trying to shut it down. Would you let that happen? I don't think you would. The third word is actually kind of two words. Built up. Built up. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit used that word throughout the Bible on several occasions, that the body is to be built. When you study that word in its original language, it really means to kind of be building upon. It's a construction term. It's a construction term. It's like building a house, one brick, so to speak, over another. The word here, the intent is likened unto building a project, like a Lego construction. How many of your grandkids and kids got Lego? It's the big thing now. They even got a Lego movie. Took my wife on a date this week. Went to see that, that movie about all those old geezers were going to save all the art. And so we wanted to see that movie, and when we walked in there, there was a massive line. And I didn't know there was a Lego movie, and I said, the kids are actually going to come and see this movie? And she said, no, no, there's a Lego movie. And they were lined up for this Lego movie. It's a big thing. But the word built is kind of like that, built. And so I want to say to you that all that we've been doing up to this point, as we talked about loving like Jesus, living like Jesus, and we talked about backsliding last week, and we've talked about purity and worthiness this week, that's the foundation that we're trying to build here at TBC. That's the stuff that's under the ground. You know when you build a house and you walk down the street, you don't see the basement. You don't see the foundation. You know it's there, but you don't see it. Now we want to move. We're, we've talked about the foundation. Now we want to build above ground. The part that everybody sees. The part that is visible. And we call it what? BTVJ. Becoming the visible Jesus. Dr. Getz wrote a book a number of years ago called Building One Another. Dr. Gene Getz is a, was a professor at the college and a seminary for many years. And then he decided that 
He probably should stop talking about building churches and go and do it. So he went out to be a church planter and has since built and planted several churches that are extremely successful, all built on one principle, building up one another. Here, listen to what he says. Whoops, let's get to the right paragraph here. More than I have realized, my initial discovery of the one another exhortations has impacted my life dramatically, and it's impacted it for years to come and the lives of many others. First, it became a key in unlocking the process Paul described in his letter to the Ephesians. That first great church planter made it crystal clear that the body of Christ will never become a growing and dynamic community affecting Christ's love unless each part does its work. Let me read that again. The body of church, the church will never become a growing and dynamic community reflecting God's Christ's love unless each part does his work. Unless each part does his work. So Christ himself gave the apostles prophets, we learned that this morning. What for? To build up the church. Why is Ken here? Why is Pastor Freddie here? Why are our Sunday school teachers here? Why is Christy here? Where is Shauna here? Because we're here to build up the church. We're not here because we think we're great pastors, although I think we're okay. But what, what motivates us? What makes our heart beat? You do. You folks do. That's what we wake up every morning longing to get to do so that we can move you forward, so we can help you become the visible Jesus. Because I want to tell you, in today's day and age, that's the only way that the gospel will go forward. I'm going to flip through. A... Okay, we've, I've already read that. Click. Gene Getz goes on to say, there are negative one another statements in the Bible, and there are positive one another statements in the Bible. I'm going to read them for you, and they may get them up there not as quick as I'll read. The negative one another, as, as Dr. Gene Getz says, the acts of the sinful nature, the acts of the sinful nature, lusting for mother, one another, Romans, judging one another, Romans, depriving one another, 1 Corinthians, Biting and bickering one another, Galatians. Devouring one another, Galatians. Destroying one another, Galatians. Provoking one another, Galatians. Lying to one another, Colossians. Hating one another. Slandering one another and grumbling against one another. Are any of those communicating? Are any of those connecting? Because of their connecting, my friends, they're the evil one trying to shut you down. Trying to shut you down. But then, thankfully, Dr. Getz goes over and he says, there are 12 key one another's 
that are in the New Testament, all of the one another statements can be boiled down to this. And these, I believe, are what we will need to become and what we will need to do and what we will need to understand to build the house above ground. Members one of another. Devoted one to another. Honor one another. Be of the same mind as one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Serve one another. Carry one another's burdens. Bear with one another. Submit to one another and encourage one another. Can you get the picture? If we want to see people come to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, if we want to see people come and find their relationship with Jesus, when they walk in this church, that is what they have to see or they will turn around and go home. You know what I hear about evangelical churches when I visit people who have gone, oh, they were so friendly. They were just the friendliest church. You know, we walked in there, they greeted us, they were friendly, we had coffee, and I said, well, why aren't you back there? Because they found some of the acts of love instead of the BJV, the BTVJ walk. Have you ever, have you ever monitored your church and you have new people come and then three, four weeks they're not there anymore? You ever ask yourself why? Because the world is looking for Christians to be like that. And when they see that, they want to be part of that. And if they don't see that, they're out of here. Because if they don't see that, they see the other side of the coin every day of their lives. So they want to see Jesus. And you want to know what it means to become the visible Jesus? There it is. And we're going to study those and talk about those and preach about those. And I'm going to hammer you about those over the next 12 weeks. Next week we start, members one of another. My question is, are you ready to come along on the ride? Are you ready to come on the ride? Because it's going to be exciting. It's going to be challenging. But, oh, God, is it going to be rewarding. Because if we become the visible Jesus here amongst ourselves, we won't have to worry about a swinging door. We'll just go get him. And no. Let's close with our hymn this morning. I think Chris is going to come lead us. There shall be showers of blessing. Let's stand together.
There shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing sent from the Savior above. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing beneath. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we There shall be showers of blessing, precious reviving again. Over the hills and the valleys, sound of abundance of rain. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling. But for the showers we plead, there shall be showers of blessing. Send them upon us, O Lord. Grant us now a refreshing. Come and now honor your word. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we pray.